Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Tuesday, April 7th, I believe. Uh, today we have an interview with Anthony O'Neill, uh, sort of untraditional compared to some of our recent interviewees, a little more personal finance related. But Part of the Dave Ramsey network, if anyone's on. I know there's a lot of fans of that. So Right, and then uh, before- Dave Ramsey guy myself, but uh, yeah. it was a great interview. Before we get to that though, I have my story, which talks about Zoom video. Um, and then what's yours about? Mine is the Luckin Coffee debacle. They're down 87% in the last three months because apparently they faked like two-thirds of the revenue last year, which, uh, you know, I don't think that's, that's a lot. standard. That is a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And then we have current state of FinTwit as always. And then we also have hot water, fuck, Mary kill, and anecdotal evidence after the interview. So let's go. <laughs> Welcome in. I'm going to kick things off. Um, my story for this week is the tale of Zoom video. So as most people now know, thanks to this whole social distancing effort going on around the world, people have flocked to Zoom video as a means for communication. Um, but this week, uh, a little bit of a debacle. I guess you used that word earlier, but debacle came out about a lawsuit against Zoom. Um, there is a Zoom user in California that is filing a class action lawsuit for the, uh, their practice of sharing users' data without them being properly informed. Um, it's stated that they share the data with third parties like Facebook, and the lawsuit also states that Zoom is getting paid to share the, that user's data. So I did a little digging, and Zoom was very open about it. They were very transparent. They did a few blog posts. Um, Two were written by their CEO, Eric Yen, who I am a fan of, uh, just so I, everyone knows in case I sound biased. And then, like had another, and then they had another one uh, by their chief legal officer, Aparna Bawa, probably messing that up as well. But in these blog posts, Zoom highlighted the information that was being collected. So they made sure to make it really obvious what data points were actually being sent to these third parties. And it's not what everyone kind of thinks it was. So it wasn't in meeting content. It wasn't like from your actual meetings. It's due to, so you can sign up through a Facebook account on Zoom. You can build a Zoom account with your Facebook account and it's through that Facebook SDK or software development kit, which uh, I mean is good typically for users, let's say they don't want to use their phone number or something like that, they can use these uh, their Facebook account. Um, but all the data that was collected around the users was around their actual devices. So it's like the app version, the device carrier, the iOS device model, the iOS language, iOS time zone. It did not have anything to do with the actual meetings. They don't monitor any of the meetings They or the content that is in the meetings. Um, they made sure to, I mean, that was a huge selling point for them because I think a lot of people got that mixed up. Um, and then in regard to selling data, Zoom stated that they do not sell users' data, nor have they ever, and nor will they ever, or they don't have any intention of doing so in the future. Um, so there was a lot, yeah, definitely a lot of miscommunication on the lawsuit. Like you read the headlines on Twitter and you automatically think Facebook's watching our videos or our meetings. That's not what is happening. 
Um, they did they may respond be, they may though. Be taking audio transcripts of uh, you know stuff and feeding it into their algorithms, but uh, you know they're not directly watching us. And it, no, I mean even it's it's only device oriented. It has nothing to do with the meetings because that's the SDK. I mean it's. Uh, I, sorry, I meant on Facebook's uh, Facebook side. Yeah, with Zoom, they're not doing that. Right, and I mean, so the, the only they they highlighted, or at least Zoom, sh- what they told us through those blog posts was every piece that they're uh, basically giving to Facebook, and none of it had to do with any of the meetings. Um, they took basically two different actions in terms of a response to these lawsuits. The first was on March twenty seventh, Zoom removed the Facebook software development kit from iOS entirely. Um, and there was a lot of iOS info that they collected. So like I said, there was all that the iOS uh, time zone, iOS language device model, all that stuff. Um, I thought it might've been an overreaction, honestly, because there are probably a lot of people on iOS that may have signed up with their Facebook account. Um, but regardless on March 29th, they also updated their privacy policy to be more clear about the data that they were collecting and how it was used. Um, note here, if you don't sign in on a Facebook soft SDK or you don't, sign in using your Facebook account, they don't, they don't give that data away to them. Yeah. Um, look, first off, it seems like Zoom, in a serious note, is taking, uh, you know, they did things right. People are probably just overreacting because it's gotten so popular and there's not really anything in the news besides the pandemic. But don't you think, so if Facebook's like the leader of the mob in Silicon Valley, you know, like in Goodfellas, when Henry Hill comes out of the room, the courtroom, and they're like, ah, you broke your cherry and everyone starts clapping. That's like yeah. all the data harvesting companies to Zoom after this. They're like, ah, you got your first scandal? And then they start clapping. They're like, welcome to the club, guys. As a user, as a user, do you care if like, so let's say you sign in through a Facebook account and Facebook got access to the size of your iOS screen and they got access to what iOS device you use. Or I mean, I guess you're an Android user, but um, like, do you care that they have your device details like okay go ahead and target me like a new phone case i don't care well yeah i mean android and i mean ios when you're using your smartphone it's just there's as someone is getting to you whether it's super personal data or just location and you know aggregated data they're getting they're getting it and zoom is not doing anywhere near the worst it's just that they're in the news the cycle will definitely go down and personally it seems like if you're not using the software development kit and they're already you know taking down um, the connection so they're not sharing any data whatsoever because I guess they're not making money off of it it seems like it's not a big deal and then personally like with the phones yes this is how we live and that's the sacrifice we have should it be better yeah. Uh, I mean, there probably will be government regulation eventually, but I'm not going to stop using my phone and all the apps. Uh, the other thing people are probably asking is they're like, okay, w- w- they say they don't sell data. Then why do they give their data to Facebook? There's the, the, the nature of that transaction is that there's more optionality when it comes to building a Zoom account. Like that's the point. That's the, why they sign. That's why they allow users to sign on using a Facebook account, and then in exchange, Facebook gets the data points that they collect from the device that signed on. Yeah, like, it's like the login stuff. Like Spotify was going through this. They make most of their money um, through subscriptions, like Zoom does, and they use the Facebook SDK. And people got upset because they were using the data. Um, 
it's just part of the software development kit. If there's anyone to blame here, it is Facebook because the way they have it where you can log in with Facebook on all these apps, that's how they aggregate all the data. It's a little over my head for the actual technical ways to do that, but that's how they get like everyone's data and not just stuff uh, from the Facebook uh, apps. Doesn't it, doesn't it bode poorly for Facebook though? Like everyone's like, I mean, I guess it bodes well, bodes poorly for Zoom on face at face value. But then when you dig into it, you see, okay, they're giving away my device specs. Like that's it. But now at the now I automatically think, okay, I'm just never going to sign in through a Facebook account because if the goal is to not give Facebook as much information as you can, just avoid signing in on their accounts. That's what Apple's been trying to do with the new iPhone stuff where they're trying to keep everything in-house with the Apple ID sign-ins or I think it is, or the face sign-ins. Yeah, Apple's taking your face as well, but they probably have earned more trust with people and they're not, uh, not using the data to target ads with you. So yeah, I mean, people don't want to log in with Facebook. Uh, probably, I don't know if a lot of people actually understand or care to understand how it works. Uh, so Facebook might just be in the clear, still being kind of a scummy company. But yeah, it can't be good for Facebook either way. Side note, uh, they also noted in the blog post that DAUs, both free and paid, was $10 million as of December last year. And then as of March this year, it jumped to $200 million. Uh, that's daily active users. Are you surprised that they've had, uh, they've done a good enough job handling that many users? Like usually when there's that big of a jump, there's probably like latency issues or like issues with servers and overloading. Like uh, how come we haven't seen any problems out of that? I think that's the beauty of the cloud offering. So uh, depending what cloud provider they use, if it's AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, or other, uh, you can scale up rather easily, which is why Zoom was able to do that. Uh, if they had to buy, like actually just watch the social network again on uh, Netflix because it was on there. If you were using like the servers like they did in that movie, it's kind of the easiest examples where you have to keep buying stuff or else it crashes. Cloud just levels up for you and you just keep paying more just because it's aggregated on these giant uh in these giant data centers. So that's probably why they're succeeding. But one note financially, I don't think very many of these users at all are actually paying more. They probably already had subscriptions within their company or their university uh, or their like educational program. And this is why they're using it now, but they're not actually paying more money. Of the 200 million DAUs, if you had to guess, how many of these are paid users? I mean, I don't know. I want to guess like 40 30 to 40% is what I'm probably guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're definitely going to see an acceleration in revenue growth, but it's definitely not going to be 10 to, you know, like a 20x uh, bump here because yeah. a lot of people are using it for free right now. They're offering it to children for free uh, at elementary and middle school and possibly high schools, I think. I think it was K through 12. But on this positive note, it's getting Zoom in the lexicon where if people want to use apps like this, uh, this is the number one for them. But I don't know how they're eventually going to like charge everyone if people kind of think of it, oh, this is a great product, but it's free. How are they going to start charging people like 10 bucks a month? So yeah. I don't know if the valuation really warrants like all these users eventually being paying users. It seems like they're just going to go to the free offering from like Google Hangouts or Skype or whatever, even if it's like 80% as good as the product. All right, well, let's get to your story. What do you have? 
Okay, it's Luck and Coffee. You guys probably heard about this. Uh, last week, they announced an internal investigation revealed that the COO had been fabricating sales numbers. I don't know for how long, but I'm assuming it's been going on for a while. Stock was down as much as 81% Thursday. So just if you had put options on them, congrats, because you could have, I mean, it's not really investing, but that someone could have gotten really lucky there. Yeah. They are now down 87% in the past three months. Company said as much as $310 million in sales were forged in 2019. For reference, their Q3 sales number, uh, in air quotes, I guess, was about $200 million, meaning that was a ton of uh, fake numbers, like just an absolute ton. And I guess they were saying their revenue growth was 400 500%, 300%. Uh, I guess it was slowing down to like 150%, but those were just, I guess, too eye-popping uh, to really take seriously. On February 3rd, actually, the investor relations page had a blog post. And this is so that's like two months ago from now, or sorry, two months yeah. before now. Right. Uh, that any fraud allegations that were coming up were materially false because there was Muddy Waters Research, who I guess, congrats uh, for doing right. all the boots on the ground stuff, was coming out with claims. The, the stock had gotten hit a tiny bit, but there was no proven thing going on. Uh, and they were right. And Luckin was, they definitely, they must've known, uh, the executive team definitely knew when they put out that blog post on February 3rd. Uh, but other than that, Citron research, uh, tough look for them. They were really back in Luckin and there's a lot of people on Twitter, thin twit at least that were saying, yeah, you know, I mean, I was back in Luckin in February and March, but you know, I sold all my shirts. I knew like it was, it was a fraud, but you could see all the timestamps from people like, oh yeah, Luckin, they're the new thing. They're going yeah. all over. China's going to be the new growth store. You got to go all in on luck and coffee and they're probably not feeling too hot today. No. Okay. Two things here. A, those people, it's a miracle that all these people that were huge luck and bulls randomly sold out before. And oh yeah, I don't know how that's possible. Uh, it's probably not. But the other one is this, you think they were sitting in a room and they're like, all right, it's going to be you that's got to take the blow. The COO was the one fabricating the numbers. Like, yeah. oh, it's like just that one person fabricated 66% or more than 60% of sales single-handedly. I mean, who's going to believe that, that the CEO and the rest of management had no clue? Yeah, I mean, it, we say, we've been saying this on like every episode, but when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked and the economy slowed down in China and they were exposed. Uh, it's just like any other Ponzi scheme where you keep adding on stuff. You know, you need money coming in, you need growth coming in. If the Chinese economy is slowing, they were going to have a tough, tough time uh, expanding their sales there. But one other note, uh, apparently people in China are rallying around the company. They're making it kind of a patriotic thing. There's a bunch of very viral Weibo posts, which is I think kind of the Twitter of China. So it's now sort of, or I don't know if this is a political thing or it's just the company trying to, you know, get their brand back up, but it's part of the cultural trade war with China, Starbucks versus Luckin. Seems like it's going to be tougher for Starbucks if the brand is that it's like America versus China for Starbucks to kind of grow uh, without having that stigma among Chinese citizens in that country. Yeah, I'm curious if that really is the stigma that it's Starbucks is an American company and they come that like that they want stuff that's only organically or, or stuff that has been grown from, yeah, like domestic companies versus American companies. It's tough um, to know because we're, uh, I guess we're not there. So 
Right. Yeah. And I, I read that piece that you screenshotted and put on Twitter and it's like, I guess props to their marketing team. Yeah. They're really, they got to dig deep and spend a lot to get their image back. Uh, it's like, but, they're like, they're like, guys, forget that we just defrauded everyone. Remember this is real. This is real Chinese coffee. Not those Americans that came over support us now in our time of need. I know it's crazy that they wouldn't just be like, no, this is not like, doesn't it worry you that the, the fraudulent company, they weren't like, no, nah, no, this is, this is an aberration. No companies in China are like this. They're like, no, 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 we need to rally around this company. And it's like, but aren't they the one they're, they're different than all the other companies. Right. Uh, but what, I guess this rolls into my question here. How does this make you feel about the Chinese ADRs, which is how you invest in a Chinese company? Um, if they're listed in like, not in the United States. Yeah. I don't own any Chinese stocks right now. Um, and this, honestly, it will discourage me. I, I hate to like, if I see a company with wonderful financials and I'm thinking like, God, like, you know, like it's hitting all the marks there, ha- you have to discount the possibility of accounting fraud. If there's just, I'm, yeah, there's too many not, cases. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the precedent is there. Like there, there's been so many examples where it's too good to be true and especially coming out of China. And this is just another example. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. All right. One more question. This or two more questions. One of these is a little, I don't know if we can answer this, but do you think this is like a one-time thing or with this economic crisis, definitely worldwide one now, uh, are there more dominoes to fall fraudulent companies in China and throughout, I mean, the entire world? Yeah. I would be surprised if this was the last one. I mean, Chanos has been saying uh, some things about, and I, he's a smart guy. He was short looking. Um, I respect him a lot. He was saying that Alibaba is the bigger whale in the room. I don't know if that's true. Uh, that's a, that would be a big, big fraud. That would be the biggest fraud in history if that were true. I mean, there's probably a ton that maybe it's not, I mean, maybe it's not two thirds of sales, but what's to stop them from juicing up the stats a little bit. And there is a Chinese, I would say there is a Chinese discount already being that there could be that accounting fraud. Like, and wouldn't, doesn't that make you think that the companies, if they were legit, like most of them are legit They're I, I think so. Most of them are legit. Doesn't that make you think if you were an executive, wouldn't you be like, all right, if we get audited by the American firms do the same uh, gap principles and sec regulations, that the American companies do, wouldn't we get a valuation premium compared to our counterparts, which right. makes them even richer? I would think that, right? It sucks. Like it really sucks for companies like JD.com, companies like Alibaba uh, th- thus far, uh, that companies that, I mean, let's say you are, you're, you're, you have good integrity, you're honest and you're reporting true numbers. It sucks because you're going to get that same discount because of the mistakes that you're, you're, other companies other domestic companies have made and i guess you can buy back shares and eventually it'll happen but it's just a lot harder because i mean there's a lot of money in the united states that can invest in these companies and i think they're probably missing out on valuations but if you're building a business it really doesn't matter last question here assuming they have a market cap of about a billion dollars which is what they finished at today i think or about 1.1 billion dollars and they're actually growing sales at 20 percent a year and let's say they have a price to sales of like six or seven right now. Yeah. Is luck going to buy it all? No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know what, if they were like, 
uh, all right, we've completely got rid of all management. The board removed everyone. They didn't know what was going on and they found a way to validate that the board had no idea and management was removed, brought in some new people. The business model has some merit to it. However, management is still there and they, everyone was like, it was more like, damn, they caught us. Like, sh like shoot, like they figured yeah. it out instead of like, this was a, this is a mistake on us. Like, ah, they got us. Like, COO's got to go. Yeah. Like, ooh, do you think Starbucks should just buy them? <laughs> uh, at this point, I think Starbucks would be better off going solo. I think they could, without having to buy them out. Yeah, because they already had way better traffic numbers, anyways, or like uh, better spending numbers, anyways, for their stores when Luckin was uh, faking their their sales numbers too. Yeah. All right. Uh, current state of FinTwit. Yeah, I got a few few short ones. I guess this is kind of some news. Uh, Airbnb is raising a billion dollars and led by Silver Lake, who is another investor in Twitter right now. So they're kind of pumping in a lot of money, uh, Silver Lake Partners, into distressed tech assets. I wouldn't say these are distressed, but struggling. Uh, they say the valuation in, middle, in the middle of March had only come down to $26 billion. Uh, that has to be lower now, right? There's no way. They're losing like eighty percent of their revenue. I mean, there's there's no way it's twenty six billion dollars. It's cra yeah, it's crazy to me. It, that's that's one where it's like, if you would have given them maybe ten more years, that or maybe even five more years, it's like, oh, that's that's bailout material. Yeah, but because they're private, they're not in the public markets. It's like, all right, who loses here? A few VCs. Yeah, Booking.com was like down 50%. Uh, no way Airbnb, would they would be down the same. I guess they don't have the liabilities of all the liabilities go on their hosts and they just take that cut, which is like for Airbnb, it's a good thing. The host kind of gets screwed if they overlever, but- Beauty I mean, of the platform. Yeah, they, it's the beauty of the platform for sure. And they are legit actually a platform. Uh, next one here. Have you been seeing those FinTwit? And I guess there's also a non-Fintwit uh, dads doing the dad colon and then kid colon, like question and response things. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? And VCs do it too. A lot of tech people. Those, the, the, most of those can't be real, right? Uh, I mean, it was, there was a few that I was like, all right. There was a few VCs where it was like, that was a humble brag. Like, look how smart my kid is. And it, it, I'm very skeptical. They make sure to highlight it's like my five-year-old son. And then it's like, yeah. and it's like, dad, when I'm coding Java, like you think <laughs> I should be, and it's like, all right, whatever. When I'm coding Java, do I, I don't even know anything about that. But when I make my business plan for my lemonade stand, should I charge, should I offer, should I go for growth uh, or should I try to get profitable right away and get those 20% operating margins? But they, I, I'm very suspicious on the validity of all those. And then yeah. Last one here. This is going to be short. I think to get rid of our Tesla talk each week, I'm just going to ask you the same question every week and you can respond and then we'll move on. All right. Sure. So weekly update is Tesla fairly valued? No. All right. Let's move on. We're going to stick with that. That's going to be the question. Yeah. So we just, we can stop uh, talking about them every week. All right. Yeah. Sure. Temporary, yeah. temporary solution. We're not going to stop, but yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's too much news to avoid that. Uh, I have a few things from the current state of Fentoy. Uh, did you see this Ross Gerber Peru Saxena beef? Yeah. Two, uh, <laughs> do you see Ross Gerber's Gerber. bullish on Zoom, Z-O-O-M? Gerber is such a clown. Like, okay, so I guess everyone was like, 
everyone kind of said like, oh, I was out of luck and I didn't trust management. And Peru Saxena said that. Although he did at one point tweet, yes, I sold it. Gerber, literally, I mean, there's screenshots that were sent to him. And yeah. Gerber like called out Peru Saxena like, oh, haha, too bad you're bullish on the luck in. And then Peru was like, oh yeah, I sold it. And he showed him the screenshots. And then he's like, well, I don't keep track of all that crap. And then someone's like, Gerber, you were bullish. Like, you put here like China's the growth story and tagged luck in. And this is a prime example of if you just refuse to believe it, is it true? Like, cause I mean, to him, he probably does. He literally thinks I never thought that. No, it's like the people that are so, uh, I hate. He's in denial. Yeah, and there's he's, like, either, he's, he's so in denial that he believes what he's saying is true. Yeah, it's mind blowing to me. Also, this stuff, the Davy the Davy Day Trader stuff is so good. Yeah, I mean it looks like he's losing a lot of money. Uh, but I don't even know if he knows how to calculate internal returns. So he might not actually be losing that much money or he might be losing a lot more. But one more thing about Ross is he is the guy that apparently is buying the Z O O M ticker because oh, Zoom video yeah, is Z M. I saw. I saw. First off, he called it the new Facebook, which is just I mean, maybe, dude, but I doubt it. Uh, and second off, you give the dumbass ticker that got suspended. Are you like, how How does this guy manage like $500 million? I, I don't know. All right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I was going to say this combination of Barstool Twitter and Fintway is everything I've been looking for. Yeah, it's right up our, right up our alley. Uh, definitely keeping us at least partially entertained without sports. Okay, those are my only things from Twitter. Um, next, we're going to have a quick break, but we hit the Anthony O'Neill interview. Um, what were some of the things you liked about it? Yeah, I mean, it was different. We're not talking really investing. Uh, it's advice for anyone. I mean, I know some of you listening might be you know, pretty good with your money, at least probably think so. But you know, advice for anyone in debt. Uh, he's written books on how to... Uh, survive college if you don't have that much money things like that we talk about going depth of all those um he's not he's a personal finance guy so he had a lot of good tips i thought he had a lot of good tips for young people trying to get out of debt and trying yeah. to push forward and like start building your wealth uh, and that's pretty much it right yeah and even if like even if you're not someone that's in like student debt it's refreshing to hear like that people are and you kind of maybe you take it for granted that you don't have that or maybe you you know have something insight as far as what you were able to do and you can kind of compare and contrast as to the advice that he offers but definitely not a typical interview um but uh, refreshing information it's always good to hear
All right, today we are welcomed by Anthony O'Neill. Anthony is a best-selling author, speaker, and Ramsey personality. Uh, we'll dive a little deeper into some of those things uh, throughout the interview, but let's kind of start with you just introducing yourself, um, how you got to where you are today, and what kind of inspired you to help young people make decisions with their money. That's a good question, man. Well, again, thanks, Ryan and Brett, for having me on the show. Uh, for those listening, my name is Anthony O'Neill. Uh, a Ramsey personality, number one national best author and speaker. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the key thing that really got me to where I am today and doing what I am doing today is myself, actually, to be honest with you guys. Um, back when I was 18 years old, I'm a freshman onto the college campus, and I didn't have freedom. I didn't have, uh, in high school, freedom. Um, I couldn't go to prom like that. I couldn't go out to dances. I couldn't date ladies. I couldn't I couldn't really have a life. I grew up in a very strong, strict, spiritual home. And man, one of the things that I quickly learned was they didn't really give me knowledge when it came to money, when it came to life skills. I just knew how to go to school, look good, come home, do my homework, and then go to church. So I'm, I'm a freshman under the college campus. I'm 18 years old, never had this much freedom before. I'm on there trying to holler at the ladies. I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to... You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to have a good time. I'm trying to join a fraternity. Like, I'm just trying to really just turn up and just be the young man that is free. And I remember going off to class, and uh, while I'm heading to class, this, this guy jumps out, and he says, hey, son, if you fill out this credit card application, I'm going to give you two free large pieces and one free T-shirt. And I was like, well, that's cool. That's what's up. So I fill it out. And about a month later, I get the credit card. Me and my mom get into an argument because she's like, son, you don't need it. Um, the credit card is not what you need at this present time. And I was like, mom, I'm a grown man. I got this. And so, man, y'all, before I even turned, uh, not before I even turned, but 13 hours after me having a card in my possession, I maxed out my very first credit card within 13 hours of me having it. Mm, yeah. Quick lesson. quick lesson, you know, but it was $150 at Red Lobster to spend it on a young lady, uh, taking her out to dinner. Then number two, I spent $150 sending that same lady roses and flowers. And then number three, I bought her a $200 purse. So you guys, I'm like, this is easy. Like I can rack up this, I can rack this up, spend $30 a month to pay it back. You know, I just made the dumbest decision of my life. And from there I went and applied for every single credit card, everything that I could do, um, could apply for it. And before I turned 18 and a half, you know, I'm $35,000 in debt. And then I do something stupid in college. Um, participated in hazing, and because I participated in hazing, um, I got kicked out of school. When I got kicked out of school, I lost my job, I lost my apartment. I thought I was going home, but my mom and dad was like, no, you can't come home. You made these decisions. We told you to make better ones, so you need to go live with your consequences. And to make a long story short, you guys, for about six months of my life, I'm $35,000 in debt, uh, and trying to figure out, figure out where am I going to sleep? And the majority of those nights, I was sleeping in the back of my car in a Walmart parking lot off of Highway 76 in Oceanside, California. And um, uh, that's why I'm here, you know, because my parents taught me the spiritual side of things, but no one taught me how to budget. No one taught me how to uh, build uh, a lifestyle that is on a solid foundation. No one explained to me what's the difference between a credit card and a debit card. No one explained to me um, what is a credit score. No one explained to me. Um, how to start a business, how to build wealth, how to start your legacy. 
no one really broke this kind of stuff down for me. And so that's why I'm here today. It's because I had to learn the hard way and I want to help as many uh, millennials and Gen Z and young people and all people across the world, to be honest, how to avoid debt, how to make sure you have an emergency fund. I mean, look at what the world is going through today. Um, and then how do we start building wealth? How do young people like yourselves, Ryan and Brett, how do y'all buy homes at 21, 22, 23? Like, how do we really become successful at a young age? And it's not an older age mindset. Right. That, that makes sense. And then that's probably how you ended up like that inexperience is what ended up making you want to, uh, help young people with their money so they don't make the same mistakes you did. Yes. Correct, man. It was, it was pretty much the, all the mistakes that I made from not choosing the right friends, from racking up all that debt, uh, from not even really listening to my parents because my parents transitioned from parents to guidance people in my life, like guidance counselors. They were mentors more so than my actual parents. And so all the decisions that I've learned um, has really, really helped me uh, to really make the decisions that I'm making today and how I want to give back to the community I'm giving back to today. Yeah. So you, you sort of talked about the kind of times we're living in right now with uh, the pandemic and people are struggling as far as like liquidity and they're losing jobs and stuff like that. One of the things they're getting though, is that, uh, that stimulus check. And so uh, from your perspective, what do you think people should be doing with that money? Well, I, it, you, this is what I always say. The caliber of your future is going to be determined by the choices you made today. So there's, there's two things we can look at this thing. Um, if you um, are out of a job and you don't have any income coming in, and depending on you may fall in the $1,200 mark or the $2,400 mark, no matter what, there's four walls that I really want you to focus on. I want you to focus on utilities, transportation, shelter, and clothing. Um, and clothing is really technically last because – you know, it's right now you shouldn't be buying any clothing. So I really want you to take care of your food, right. uh, utilities, and, and your shelter. Um, and clothing if you do need it. But you don't need to be going out there buying new clothes um, at this present time because we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. um, so what I'm going to say is that I'm going to make sure that we are taking care of that. And so at the top of that list, um, I want you to make sure that your mortgage and your rent is paid. Then make sure that your utilities are paid and make sure that you're eating. Um, and then from there, if you have anything left over uh, from that, just stack it. I want you to put it into the savings account and just stack that money as long as you possibly can. But nine times out of ten, it's only if you're getting twelve hundred bucks. By the time you get done taking your four walk, taking care of your four walls, you will not have any money back um, at all. And so, uh, make a wise decision uh, with, with the income that you have coming in. Yeah, it's a it, it's a sticky situation because there. I mean, we're we're going to talk a little bit about investing here, but this is uh, those are that's enough money to basically cover your fixed expenses. So yeah, um, that's kind of tough. But the the other thing you've written a book called Debt Free Degree, and so I have a question regarding debt. Uh, there are a lot of people out there with debt that are also having liquidity issues and cash issues to begin with. What do you say to them about their debt repayments if they're already having cash issues? Well, if you're already having cash issues, it sounds like you have two problems. You have a small shovel and you need to get on a better budget. And so uh, before we can even address the budget, we do need to uh, figure out how do we get our shovel bigger, which is a, a bigger cash flow. And so when I'm recommending to people, um, clearly right now during this pandemic time, 
it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find a job. Uh, but once this pandemic is over, like you need to figure out how can you, if you're working this one job, if you can get a better job that pays you better or maybe give you more hours, or do you go out there and get two jobs? Uh, because right now, I'm a huge fan of attacking your debt as much as you possibly can today. So if that means you got to get two jobs and maybe start a small business at home so you can have three streams of income coming in to attack your debt, that's great. But once we get the income fixed, you got to get on a detailed zero-based budget. And the zero-based budget just simply means now you list your income minus your expenses, and at the end of it, it equals zero. So if you make $1,000, that means you're going to spend all $1,000 on paper, and at the end of it, it's going to be zero. If you make $1,000 and at the end of it, you spent $1,200 on paper, that means that you're negative $200. You need to go back and fix your budget uh, to make sure that it comes out to zero. Uh, but especially even right now during this pandemic time, your budget is your number one friend. Uh, today's the first of the month uh, that when we're recording. And for me, I've already looked at my budget two times. You know, I have a surplus of income and I'm fine, but I'm even still figuring out what are some areas that I can cut back during this pandemic time to save me some money so I can have a lot more money in the savings. But during this time, if you are struggling with cash, then sit down and see where can you can, where can you cut things from your budget? If you got Netflix and Hulu, cut one of them. And if right. I was you, if I'm struggling with, with some income, I'm cutting both, both of them, you know, and I'm going to keep my internet and maybe stream some things on YouTube or something like that during a small season. If you got Apple Music and Spotify, you need to cut one of them. <laughs> you know, you only need one. So get creative with the areas that you're cutting uh, so that way you can save some more money. Right, because you always want to you wanna get to that place where you have a cushion where if you have a time like this where things slow down, you have that you know, weird thing where you might get uh, laid off because of you know, the pandemic, which is just a crazy thing. No one was really thinking about you want that cushion right that emergency fund so you can survive at least you know two to three months and then going into that you're not going to be able to do that if you have all this debt to repay yeah you really won't man and you know what <clears throat> and and i'm praying for everyone right now during this pandemic time you're right um no one's seen this coming uh, a month ago no one was thinking we were going to be here today where we are and right now this is not about you know uh, for my, my message my voice i told you so right now it's about let me help people uh, get to a better place. Let me help them get out of this pandemic. Um, and then as soon as we get out of it, let's get out of debt. You know, debt robs you of your dreams. Debt brings you fear. Um, debt does not set you up for joy, for peace, for happiness. Um, and if you had three to six months during this time, yeah, it's still going to suck. Let's be honest. You know, it's, this still feels horrible, even for myself, because I lost, in, I lost a lot of income coming in. But at the same time, I'm able to sleep well. I'm still able to eat. I'm still able to get up and have joy and have peace uh, because I was prepared for a season uh, that uh, that may come like this. But, you know, right now, let's just focus on how to get out of this season. And for those of you all who um, may ha still have a job, let's say you still have some income coming in and you're a millennial Gen Z. Now is the time that if your job is still employing you and you still got some income coming in, if you have debt, attack the debt. If you don't have debt, and set aside an emergency fund because you never know when you will be impacted and when you will need three to six months of income. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned that you wrote, um, or Ryan mentioned that you've written uh, two books before, I think. Uh, do you want to give a brief synopsis on each and then why you wrote those? Yeah, you know, I have two books, The Graduate Survival Guide 
um, which that is the five mistakes high school students cannot afford to make when they transition into college. Um, I highlight the five mistakes that I made, um, not having a plan, uh, not uh, relationships, not having healthy relationships, taking out student loans, which led me to my next book, which is called Debt Free Degree, which is a step-by-step guide on how uh, to get into college 100% debt free. And so for your listening audience, um, that may be a good book or may not be a good book. Some of your listening audience may be in college um, or transitioning into college, uh, but it's a step-by-step guide. I, I break it down from the seventh grade all the way through the 12th grade. And hey, here's what you need to be doing in this grade, during this semester, during this summer. Here are the classes. Here are the, here are the secrets to the ACT and the SAT. Here's how you do dual enrollment and actually win with it. Um, here's how you do some CLEP testing. Like, I put everything in this book on here's the plan. Here's the step-by-step guide. But then also, I'm going to give you all a little secret. I have a a new quick read book coming out next Monday, April 7th, called Destroy. Yeah, Destroy Your Student Loan Debt. So now I have the Graduate Survival Guide where I'm teaching high school students, hey, here are the five most important mistakes you cannot afford to make. Then I have a book for middle school and high school students and parents of that age bracket who want to get into college debt-free. But let's say if you have people like myself who went into college, or like you all selves, who we all went into college, and we're trying to figure out, okay, I took out student loans, but how do I, how do I get out of them fast? Um, and I wrote, I wrote a quick read. It's about 10,000 words. It would take you about two hours to read it. It took me two hours to read it, and I hate reading. <laughs> so... It's a quick read, and I literally lay it all down. I do a deep dive into baby step number two, which is where we talk about how to pay off all your debt using the debt snowball. Um, I tell you when is the best time to possibly refinance your loan. I break down uh, the the negatives and the truth about uh, the student loan forgiveness, um, about the government and how they're guaranteeing some stuff. I mean, I literally give you the step-by-step guide on here's how you attack your student loans. The pre-sale right now, um, I don't know when this is coming out, but the pre-sales on Amazon, and then uh, we are also live on my website at anthonyneal.com as well, and they can purchase it there um, anytime after April 7th. 10 bucks, um, it's a quick read, and it will bless it will bless anyone who reads it. So while we're on the topic of student loans, uh, I, I guess this is a little political, but um, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's a discussion going on now about whether or not student loans should be forgiven and exempt, um, or if public college should be much cheaper, if not free. What are your thoughts um, on that debate? You know, here's my thoughts on that, man. I'm like 50-50. I don't have a problem with a Bentley costing as much as it does. I don't. You know, I don't have a problem with a Honda costing as much um, and a little bit more affordable as it does. And so I do, I don't have a problem with where colleges um, name their prices because just because they're expensive doesn't mean that we have to go to that expensive school. So I do believe that we should make uh, more community colleges um, available uh, as far as in, if not free, at a very, very, very affordable price. Um, I do believe that maybe some local and state colleges should probably be a lot cheaper. Um, I do believe with that, but I do not believe that every single school needs to be 100% free when it comes to college because that's not mandatory. Um, that is right. that is something nice or something extra. 
Now for specific degrees, uh, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, yes, you have to go to school. So I would love to see uh, maybe some local community colleges and some local in-state colleges, uh, if they're not free, be at a very affordable price to where someone who is not as fortunate uh, can actually go to that school and work hard and earn that degree. Uh, when it comes to student loan forgiveness, here's my philosophy. We got 44 million uh, people who are in student loan debt and I feel for them because I was a part of that stat. Uh, we had literally over $1.6 trillion uh, in student loan debt. So here's, here's my thing. We do need to do something to help these 44 million. But before we address that, let's stop the bleeding. When is the last time you put a Band-Aid on a wound that continues to bleed? Now, you've never done that. What do you do? You go in there, you, you stop the bleeding, you clean up the bleeding, and then you put the Band-Aid on there just to make sure that uh, if any little bit of small pieces of blood comes out, it's covered. But you never put a, a something on a wound that will continue bleeding. So my thing is, let's stop the process. Let's stop the student loan stuff make some more affordable options. Because when we stop student loans, then now we force the colleges to come down because now they're like, there's no guarantee. So we have to make school affordable for Ryan. We gotta make school afford affordable for Billy Joe Bob out there. And so now we start seeing the school responding because now there's no guarantee. Then once we fix the beginning, then once we stop the blood, when we stop the, the, uh, the water from coming in, then yeah, let's go back and see how can we help uh, these 44 million people right now uh, who just done wrong. Now we didn't, we didn't write this question down, but I'm, I'm just curious on your thoughts. Um, and if I'm spoiling your new book, just stop me. But there are like, I have friends right now that have uh, student loans. They're not super apt to talk about it, but, um, and they're trying to pay it off and they get out of college. They're trying to pay it off faster. What would be the first steps? I know you said you talked about refinancing that loan. I think a lot of people don't even, know that they're able to do that. Um, what would be the steps to refinancing a loan? How would you do that for anyone in that situation? Man, you know what? That's a good question. I'm going to leave that one for the book. But okay. I, would I would definitely say this, though. I I'll definitely give you this. I do not believe that everyone should refinance a loan, okay? okay. Now, the step-by-step -step process on how to do that, um, I'm, I'm going to leave that for the book. But here's when I say you should refinance a loan. If that interest rate is ridiculously high and the refi company it's going to give you a much lower rate. They're not going to charge you any fees to do it. Okay. And so here's the secret. I'm not refinancing my loan to get lower payments. I'm refinancing my loan to get lower interest rate, but I'm going to put more money towards the payment because in the long term, I'm going to save a lot of money. Okay. So when I think of refinancing, a lot of people get excited because their payments go from 500 to maybe 300. Well, no, I want you to keep the same payment of 500, but I don't want you paying the $500 payment on an interest rate that may be 8% when you can get it for 3%. You see what I'm saying? So that saves you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And then now if you keep your payment at $500, for an example, if that was your payment, now you get out of debt quicker rather than going so long because you have all this injury securing on a daily basis. So the step-by-step -step process is in a book. And bro, I even give people the best company out there that has the best interest rate uh, to refinance the loan if they qualify for my standards when it comes to refinancing uh, their student loans. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, you always want a lower interest rate if possible, but 
for when you're talking with uh, young people, what do you think the, or at least in your experience, what's the best method of communication you have found to like when you're working with uh, young people to try to help them with their finances? Um, authenticity, man. You know, one of the things I've learned with my brand is <clears throat> young people, man, we can tell when people are scripted, you know, when they're, when they're fake, when they're not real, when they're just doing this for a job. Um, a lot of people call me a financial expert. And to be real with you guys, I'm not a financial expert. I'm just a student. I'm a financial student. I've made some mistakes. I've learned um, how to fix my mistakes. And so all I'm doing is everything that I've learned and everything that I'm still learning to, to today, um, and I will continue to learn, is I'm just turning around and just teaching it to young people. Um, I had the opportunity to sit up on one of the uh, generals when it comes to the financial world, Dave Ramsey, and every single day I'm learning something from this guy. And I don't go out there trying to be this this big guy that's like, I'm an expert, I'm this, I'm that. No, man, I'm just a young man who's passionate about helping people. And why do I learn so much? Is one, I want to impact my life, but then two, I want to help young people like yourself. You know, I want to help uh, young people uh, get some knowledge, get some wisdom ahead of the game. So at 21, they're thinking like a 31-year-old. At 31, they're thinking like a 41-year-old. I want people who rock with me I want all of us to be ahead of the game. I want us to start thinking about building our legacy at 18, at 19, at 20, or at whatever young age that they are when they come into this new mindset, uh, because that's just so important. So I think one of the key things that I'm noticing with young people is they see that I'm authentic, they see that I'm real, and they see that I'm passionate about this message. And, uh, and I think if you're really trying to reach young people, you have to be real, you have to be authentic. Um, you have to be um, passionate uh, because they can smell smell you from a mile away if you're not that that guy or that young lady. Right. Um, now, if we kind of pivot from the savings side to the investing side, this is sort of a personal question. So you don't have to, I mean, if you don't want to answer it, let me know. But how do you invest your own money? Um, and then what would be your advice for young people once they get to that investing side of it? Man, that's a good question, man. You know, I. Um, I started off the way our baby steps teach where we get 15% of our income into a 401k that is matched and a Roth IRA. So I have money into both. Um, I have money into a 401k um, and I have money into a Roth IRA. Uh, with my standards, well, with not my standards, but where I am financially, um, I do also invest into, I purchase a home and I've also purchased some land. Um, I'll tell you the secret that one of my millionaire mentors told me. He said, we're not building any more uh, land we're continuing to build houses. And so what he taught me was eventually one day, whether you reap it, whether your kids reap it, or whether your kids' kids reap it, uh, purchase some land as much as you possibly can because one day it will sell and it will sell more than what you purchase it for. So right now I'm like, I'm on the excitement of just purchasing some land um, here and there. You never know, uh, uh, you know, somebody may come and say, I want to build my house on this. Or I want to build my business on this. And so that's what I'm doing. But for young people, uh, here's what I'm suggesting is the number one investment you can make is into yourself. I believe in education. I believe uh, in college education, trade school education, military education. The number one investment you can make is into yourself. I tell you young people, mind your business. And what I mean by that is your mind is a business. So grow your business uh, and get some type of education that can grow your number one asset, which is your mind. Get through college 100% debt-free. 
get through trade school 100% debt free and grow your number one asset, which is your mind. Then after that, let's say if you have no debt, you got, you got some money in savings account, you got your three months minimum in your savings account, the number one thing right now is time. Put $100 a month if you're 18, 19, 20 years old into a Roth IRA. And if you do that, if you just do $100 a month at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, at least in your young 20s, by the time you get to 55, 60, you'll have little over $1.5 million just off of $100. But check this out. Those people listening right now, you're going to be making some good money because you're listening to this podcast. So you're going to be able to to max out at 15% of your income into this account. So this means by the time you get to 55, 60, you should have anywhere between two to three, four million dollars into this one account because of time, time and compound interest. So I always tell people two things. If you're in your young 20s or um, wherever you are, your number one asset is your mind. Invest into that. Avoid debt. Stack your money. Get three months into a reserve, into a bank account. Number two, invest into a Roth IRA. You can go down to your local bank, tell them I want to put $50, $100 into that thing a month. Instead of for taking out your girlfriend or instead of for buying a new pair of shoes, you know, put some money into your future because it is our younger person's responsibility to take care of our older person. It is my responsibility to take uh, take care of my 16, 70-year-old self. It's even... Uh, it, it, there really aren't any excuses now, and it's, I obviously, I, I guess maybe I'm in a better situation. But you, you don't even have to go to the bank anymore. In the digital world, you can download an app, open a Roth instantly on like a Schwab or something like that, and immediately start to make those payments if you have that extra cash aside. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know we're getting close on time here, so we'll, uh, we'll pivot into the last two questions here. Um, what is one financial saying that you disagree with? One financial saying that I disagree with. People have said uh, uh, cash is safe before. Uh, uh, one thing I disagree with is uh, credit is king. That's a, uh, that, that's okay. whack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's whack. You know, credit is not credit is not king. Uh, credit uh, is um, a lie. You know, it's, it is definitely a lie because when you really step back, everyone who I ask who does the credit score thing, okay, cool, I respect it. That's what you do. It's not what I do. But no one disagrees me when I say this. Does a credit score really determine your financial success? And everyone agrees with me when I say no because they're like, yo, all it simply means is you just know how to pay back your debt. But it doesn't has nothing to do with how much money you make, has nothing to do with how much money you have in your savings account. Because it, it is so awkward to me that you reward me with a lot of debt. But if I have zero debt and I have six figures sitting in the account, I get penalized because I want to pay cash for everything. But you can have someone who has an 800 credit score but don't even have $800 in their bank. Right. And you give them a lot. So for me, that's one financial statement I disagree with. I do believe that cash is king um, and credit is not. All right. Well, here's our last question and then we'll let you go. Uh, what is, you know, we've had a lot of, you've talked a lot about giving advice to young people, but if you had one thing to give uh, for young people starting out in the business or investing world, uh, what would it be? In the business or investing world, uh, the caliber of your future will be determined by the choices you make today. 
What choices are you making today that will impact your tomorrow? And the number one choice that I believe if you really want to be successful financially and especially in the business world is avoid debt. If you really look at what's going on during this pandemic time, um, a lot of companies who do not have debt, they are the companies who are staying afloat because they have all this cash coming in and it is theirs and they're able to pay their employees. I was in the Waffle House yesterday. I know Waffle House shut down about 400 stores uh, here recently because of the pandemic because they want to reserve their cash so they can come back and hire all their employees in the future. And so one of the general managers told me, she said, well, we're debt free. So we're definitely going to bounce back out of this. We're just making the proper calls now. So that way, when we do get out of this, we can come back and hire all of our families. And so uh, she said, but no, we have no debt. We have no mortgages. And so we can come back and hire everyone instantly. But the people who have a lot of debt um, and have a lot of payments, when, when we get out of this pandemic, a lot of companies are not coming back. And so if you really want to be smart as a young entrepreneur, uh, number one, avoid debt yourself, avoid debt for your company, and just make sure that you have patience and build slow and make the right decisions today that will impact your tomorrow. Awesome. Appreciate your thoughts, Anthony. Um, we'll let you go now. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, man. Thank you all, man. Love the show. Let me know when I can do it again. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, uh, Anthony. All right, man. Okay, welcome back. Thanks again uh, to Anthony O'Neill for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it. But we have our hot water now. I'm going to go first. Go, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the GOAT is back. Billy McFarlane is back, yes. and he's starting a crowdsourced funding project to collect money because coronavirus is tearing families apart. And so he's okay. in prison doing this, by the way. And okay, qu question for you. Who is doing better? Who's doing more for their community? One, Martin Shkreli, who's trying to get out of prison to create a vaccine. Two, Billy McFarland. Or three, those preachers in the South trying to get people to give them money to tell God that the coronavirus will cure, that they will cure them of the coronavirus. Okay, so is Martin, like, I don't know enough about Martin Shkreli because that all kind of happened. You know, he kind of went to prison and all this stuff before I was like into the investing world. Is he like brilliant? Because his record was very impressive no yeah i get he's very smart but he's also just a scumbag um so huh. kind of like billy mcfarland but with that smart yeah that's dangerous dangerous combo there uh, but i mean is anyone gonna ever give billy mcfarland money again at least at least shkreli like to the best of my knowledge there's no documentaries out which basically highlight his fraud dude shkreli's like I mean, there probably will be, but if Screlly's like the the uh, I don't know those movies where there's the guy in prison who helps solve the crimes, or you know what I mean, like the genius that's in prison, yeah, uh, like the blacklist or something like that. They made they made McFarlane look so bad too. There's there's no you're not coming back from it. Um, other plagiarism is in hot water for two reasons also. Oh? Um, so yeah, so that Ross Gerber tweet today, I think. So here's the thing. He said Zoom will be the new Facebook. Whatever. You know what? I'm I'm bullish on Zoom. And, but he he jacked that take from Invest Like the Best because we were talking about, I mean, it was with, uh, what's his name? Um, Gavin Baker. And he was talking about the power of Zoom and how it can be kind of like a social media down the line. He totally jacked that take from Invest Like the Best. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, it was, it's just, he, he's, it's, it's unreal. It's regardless. He tagged the wrong zoom, which you already <laughs> highlighted. So we know who was buying that. We finally know. Yeah. He was driving out the prize and a, he must've just been the bag holder. No, I don't think he actually did that. I don't, I don't know, dude. What? But maybe though, like, uh, how is he, he might have, so much money? um, Anyway, the other one is Elon totally ripping off that lady's tweet. Oh yeah, dude. He probably. I mean, and it, okay, he supposed to be the meme guy. He didn't wow. say anything until literally everyone called him out for being the person that steals jokes. Um, because like no one, you know, when you have like a fire joke and someone says it a little bit louder, that is what happened here. Oh yeah, he probably does that all the time. I mean, you know how there's that moment when you kind of when Elon goes into your sphere of influence, uh, and then you realize like, oh shit, like he's bullshitting. Now the comedians, the finally comedians are like, oh Elon's bullshit. Wow, all right. Yeah, I have noticed like a lot of people on Twitter like you know never really looked into it, but like his like he's just really good at PR. Dude, yeah, I mean, he got me for like three years. I mean, I'll say it. Um, all right, fuck Mary Kill. Wait, no, Wait. hot water. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, the tiger who got coronavirus is obviously in hot water, but I want to say, how are we giving that tiger? I mean, I'm an animal. I like animals. I don't even need animals. How is a tiger getting to test when we don't even have enough for all humans? Okay, so that's what I thought at first as well. But apparently, so I'm here. I whatever we were talking about it with the family and they were like yeah so it was, he had he was showing symptoms so like super lethargic you had no appetite and all this stuff and so what what so what if it's because what if it's like the transmission from humans to animals oh interesting like interesting. what if that's so, the start scientific huh i mean okay, that's probably okay. the, that's probably the concern there right yeah yeah i guess i, I guess, guess that- i mean because it doesn't affect dogs or whatever, but let's or it doesn't affect most animals is what I'm hearing. But what if like it, human to animal doesn't work, but tiger to animal does? I, tiger, I don't, dude, I don't, I don't think many. I guess we have Tiger King is big. I guess more people are interacting with tigers than we think. But I, I don't think that's it. But all right, that's it. I guess yeah. all right. Could be other, it. other ones. Carnival cruises. Uh, we know they're in hot water, but the Saudi fund, uh, aka the biggest jinx on all investments, has invested 8.2 percent in the company. If you were running a company and you saw that the Saudis, aka the people that finance terrorists, uh, the people that killed that Washington Post reporter who used to be a, a Saudi Arabian reporter, you know, really just a bad country. How scared would you be if they take a controlling stake in one of your businesses? You know what? I can't. I can't even hate on it because they bought the dip, and we talk about buying the dip all the time. So they, <laughs> BTD, they took it to heart. Uh, but yeah, no, dude, they yeah, finance. They finance terrorists. Like it's. I mean, they're erratic. Their government is super erratic. They they arrested. They convinced the Lebanon. This is like in 2017. They told the Lebanon president to come uh, to Saudi Arabia, and then they. Cap, they imprisoned him and forced him to resign from Lebanon as the prime minister over video because he like said something about Iran or something like that. I could begin that wrong, but they they do crazy shit like that all the time. It, if I was an executive of Carnival, I'd be scared shitless. Oh, I mean, yeah. So, a if I was an executive, I'd probably quit my job. But if I'm an investor, I just don't really want anything to do with it. I'd probably sell shares. Oh yeah. 
no, yeah, you just just don't yeah, don't even mess with that. All right, what else do you have? Okay, well, here's something that seems like a total coincidence. A rental car lot in a Miami airport, uh, a fire destroyed 3,500 cars on over 15 acres. Total coincidence, right? Was there a Model 3? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not Tesla, although I like where you're going there. Uh, I, you know, There's going to be a hell of an insurance claim on that, right? I mean, in the rental car companies, oh. they have zero demand. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, really big coincidence there. Uh, right. Last one, though. All the other NFL coaches, because Bill Belichick at his library, yet his background there, has a copy of Poor Charlie's Almanac. Uh, so you know no he's, he's like Munger on the football field. I knew, I, knew, I knew he was an investor. I could tell. Don't you think he could run a fund? He'd be a fan. He's, he'd be like Carl Icahn. He'd be the best corporate raider if he walked into your executive room. You know what I mean? He has, he's got a little combination of Buffett and Munger in him. Cut your losses early. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's yeah. definitely like that. He definitely thinks like that. Sell Brady at the top. I mean, he tried too. He tried earlier. Oh yeah. He uh, cut off what Chandler Jones. I mean, whatever football talk, but yeah. All right. Uh, is that your last one? That is it. Okay, fuck Mary Kill. The theme this week is healthcare. The three companies I've got here are Similar Scientific, Livongo Health, and Teladoc. Oh, wow. Well, Teladoc, the valuation has gotten insane. I do own shares of Similar and Teladoc, so I guess you probably know. But I do like Livongo Health. Uh, I think I'll marry Similar because I do own shares of that too, and I like the valuation compared to Teladoc because it's getting a little out of hand. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm in Teladoc for the long haul. So I'll probably kill them at this point and fuck Livongo. But I don't know. I'm marrying similar and I'm, I'm not really selling Teladoc. I don't think I'd sell all three of these, but uh, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I'm going to kill Teladoc right now. Just purely on the valuation versus these other two similar. I'm going to marry. Um, and then Livongo, I bought shares up 12% the first day. So if that's not bangable, I don't know what is. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's that, there's my combo there. Um, anecdotal evidence last segment here. Uh, you want to go? Sure. Uh, so big news on my personal portfolio decided to sell, um, a company I was a big fan of JD.com. Why? Uh, I guess because the valuation is not as it's not as interesting as it once was. It has gone up quite a bit and it's stayed there. And I do think uh, it looks like the Chinese economy. I'm, a, I'm not a macro economist, but it looks like it's in a lot of trouble. Um, and I just think there's a lot of downside risk right now. And I, I got a lot of, there's a lot better opportunities elsewhere uh, with companies. I know a little more. Did Luckin influence your decision at all? Slightly. I, I think I'd been thinking about the JD.com for a while though, because I've been reading up about the Chinese debt market. The because the consumer, the Chinese consumer, is what's really important to JD.com, and it looks like the numbers aren't looking too hot. And for some reason, the stock is not taking a hit whatsoever. Um, and I just don't, I don't know. If things cool off and the economy starts roaring back, but Luck and Coffee was, um, I think it was kind of a catalyst to you know get me to research a little bit more. Okay. Well, you got anything else or is that it? That's it. I, was, I just, I think I'm trying to 
any I sold my Disney as well. They got a lot of uh, other liabilities that are probably hurt really bad right now, like Disneyland and cruise ships. But they have uh, influence in China as well. I'm trying to get my Chinese exposure um, okay. as minimal as possible. Okay, um, I finally got my trip refunded on Airbnb. Oh, congrats! Um, and I was struggling. And they so a little if you, if you didn't have an Airbnb trip planned, basically they said you get a full refund if your check-in date is before April fifteenth. I think it was got extended to May thirty first. So if you think it's only between now and May thirty first, the full refunds. Mine was not until June fifth, my check-in date. So they are having to refund a ton. I'm assuming. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, that's beyond, probably why they're having. That's probably why they raise money. They're having cash flow issues for sure. Yeah. And beyond, I'm assuming beyond just their initial pol- like the policy that they claim right now, it, it, it's interesting. And I think they're going to have a lot. Yeah, everyone already knows the take, but it feels like there's going to be trouble there. It's um, crazy how a month we go offline, and some of these companies just. I mean, you would have never expect a total shutdown, but some of these companies they can't even sur- like survive a month. Like yeah. how, how, how do these executives sleep at night with knowing all that risk that's on the table? Yeah. And so, you know, that Gavin Baker interview uh, on invest like the best was great. And I, I think everyone should do that solvency test where you say how many days are they of liquidity do they have left if they don't have any revenue, zero revenue. Um, and if your company can't survive longer than two or three months, they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, or they're potentially in trouble. Um, at least, I mean, if, if it's a month, they're definitely in trouble. Yeah, two, three months, probably in trouble. Okay, um, the other thing that I was thinking about, do drive-in theaters make a comeback? Mm, why? Because you can be social distancing? Yeah, I mean, I, would, I could attend a drive-in right now and watch a movie. Eh, eh, I could also watch it on my couch. No, it's probably, it's pro- it could have, if, if it was going to make a comeback at all, this could be it. Um, the other thing is you could use, so there's all these church goers, you know, with, that are yeah. actually going to church. You could, not use, all, not all of them, but some, right. um, maybe not so smart ones, a, uh, a small right. portion of them. And there, but I mean, couldn't you use sort of drive in theater model for church services, large gatherings, stuff like that? Nah, dude, God will get coronavirus. He'll get rid of it. That's all you need. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it then. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks for Anthony for coming on again. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. Thanks for everyone who listened. Feel free to follow us wherever you're listening. Like and subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. It really helps. Um, and follow us on Twitter. Also, if you have any like any companies that you want us to evaluate or look at, just tweet it at us. It's at Chit Chat Money. We'll definitely do it. We I think we've got a few on the queue, right? A few people have recommended some. Uh, one, I think. One right uh, now. Uh, yeah. could, there could be a few. I'd have to check the Twitter mentions. Yeah. Get them in um, and we'll get those done. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or a recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.